in today's episode of Rob Conrad Conversations. Harold Mintz. Well, somebody died today because they don't have a kidney. And she said, yeah, 25 people will die in the United States today waiting for an organ that doesn't come. In the year 2000, he donated a kidney. She said, well, who's it for? I said, no, whoever needs it. To a complete stranger. The very first medical test they did was they sent me to a psychiatrist. If the things that I've experienced in my life had happened to you, you or they would have ended up on that surgeon's table just as well. A story of fear, doubts, humanity, and hope. So here's my fear. What happens when we finally meet and this person looks at me and goes, ooh, but I see this tiny lady standing in the middle of the room, black one carrying uh, a big bouquet of flowers uh, and everything fuzzed out. Join the conversation now. Welcome to Rob Conrad Conversations. Conversations with extraordinary people that motivate and inspire. Learn, grow, and impact lives. Subscribe now and hit the bell icon for a new conversation every week. Here comes the sunshine and burns away clouds like they never were. Hey, welcome. This is Rob Conrad from Switzerland. And let's do a little thought experiment. Would you give your kidney to your wife or to your husband or to your child if they would need it? Probably most people would say yes. Now, would you give your kidney to your, let's say, brother-in-law or sister-in-law if she would need it? Probably also yes. Now, let's continue this a little bit. Would you give your kidney to your best friends? Would you give your kidney to your neighbor? And finally, we're going to arrive at one question. Would you give your kidney to a complete stranger? And this is exactly what Harold Mintz did in the year 2000 after um, a change legislation um, allowed this for the first time ever. And um, he gave away one of his kidneys to someone he didn't know. And um, why he did that and um, no, the thoughts that went through um, his mind. Um, well, let's ask him. He's online today with me. And thank you very much for taking the time, Harold Mintz. Pleasure, Rob. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Although I have to say, you were the reason for some um, hefty discussions with my wife, actually, um, which can be summarized with the question, which might not sound nice, but the question my wife had was, who the hell gives away a kidney to someone you she doesn't know? <laughs> so That's a legit <laughs> question your wife that is question. asking. Who does that kind of thing? Let's start, yeah. let's start with that question. Who the hell does that? <laughs> well... <clears throat> I always try to respond to that by saying nobody wakes up one day and says, hey, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to start giving out body parts to people I don't know. That's, that's just <laughs> not how it works. So what kind of person? Here's something else I can share. You know the end of the story. You know I, that I donated I, to someone I didn't know. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's, it's interesting in that I will tell you that if the things that I've experienced in my life had happened to you or whoever might be listening, if it happened to them, mm -hmm. I say you or they would have ended up on that surgeon's table just as well because it's not me. It was situational. It's what was built, the circumstances that led me to this decision are what led me to the decision, not what kind of person. The real question is, 
What does somebody have to go through that would lead them to want to do this? All right. So what were the, the, the steps that you went through? Well, hindsight, you know, mm -hmm. being able to look over your shoulder at uh, what happened yesterday is easy. Uh, so now I gave my kidney away in the year 2000. That's 19 years ago. Uh, uh, but I can tell you, because it's in the past, I can tell you exactly the series of uh, breadcrumbs that I followed mm -hmm. that led me there. And as far as I can tell, the very first uh, breadcrumb that I saw was high school. You know, I'm a 16-year-old kid, and I was walking down the hall, mm -hmm. and a cheerleader, a very pretty cheerleader, said, hey, come give give blood with me today. Mm -hmm. uh, she said, and if you do, I'll give you one of the cupcakes I made last night. And that right there, <laughs> a pretty cheerleader offering me a baked good was what led me to donate blood for the first time, you know, as a mm -hmm. teenager. Now, flash forward to today. What I know today, statistically, is that if you go to the last hundred people who donated an organ to somebody, mm -hmm. whether they did it as a living donor like I did, or if they sign their driver's license and say, take it, uh, 85% of those people that uh, have donated blood, sorry, have donated an organ are blood donors. doesn't mean mm -hmm. that if you give blood, you're going to give your organs away. But if you're an organ donor, there's a very high chance that you're also a blood donor. So knowing that in high school with the cupcake and the cheerleader, it started me on a path mm -hmm. that led me to where we were, where, where I head. So, uh, that's, you know, in the seventies, that's a long time ago. Uh, flash forward a few years. And the next breadcrumb that I remember, uh, was my father's passing. Mm -hmm. Uh, at the time he wasn't on an old guy. He was, uh, I'm older now than he was when he passed. Mm -hmm. Uh, but he was probably sick for a long time. Cancer took him. It wasn't uh, mm -hmm. you know, anything organ donation related. He had cancer. Mm -hmm. And by the time they found it, they realized that uh, they everything they tried to do to fix him just didn't work. And so he passed. So from the day he found out he was sick to the day he passed was probably about six weeks, seven weeks was, maybe. Very short time. Very short time. Yeah, yeah. it was just quick. Uh, probably good for him, the patient who didn't have to suffer. But for my mom and my family, that kind of was a out of the blue shock. So uh, it's not unique. Listen, we probably all saw the Lion King and, you know, there's a circle of life and you live your life. And <laughs> the idea is to love as many people and know as many people and laugh as much as you can. And eventually that circle, it, it, it comes to a, a finish. But uh, I want to make that circle as big and as filled with as fun stuff as I can. And so uh, – Knowing that my dad passed at an early age, I quickly realized we probably all have tomorrow, but mm -hmm. not all of us have tomorrow. Uh, and so I started making decisions in my life that were, at least I try to be conscious about it, that said, uh, if the road splits and you've got to choose which way you're going, that way or that way, I try to choose the one that looks the most fun, mm -hmm. not easy. They're not always easy, but I look for where the, does that look joy? Does that look fun? Does that, will that make us happy? Those tend to be the decisions. And that's based on dad passing. But 
this is going to come out odd, but I'm going to say having donated that kidney at the time when it struck me, when the idea finally coalesced, mm-hmm. I was being pulled towards it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't uh, it wasn't a light decision. You don't make these decisions lightly. And I've talked to others who have donated and they've all said kind of strangely enough that it wasn't compulsion, but there was certainly something that I felt pulled towards this concept of trying to help. Mm-hmm. And, and there's other dominoes. There's other breadcrumbs in that trail uh, from meeting a, a, a couple whose daughter was ill and they were asking for our daughter's got, you know, bone, uh, got cancer, leukemia. And if you can find the right match for bone marrow, that oftentimes does a great job of, you know, helping the patient. <laughs> so, you know, we met them. We, my wife and I tried to, you know, help a little bit. Here's our blood, see if we're a match. We weren't. And then I found out, you know, months later that she had passed away. And there was an article in the newspaper uh, with the parents who we had met. And the parents, uh, as sad as they were, one of the first things I remember reading in that newspaper article was they wanted to thank all the community members that had come forth and tried to help them, you know, save their daughter. We couldn't help her. But because so many of you came out, eventually people will be saved because of that. And uh, wow, you know, you're a heartbroken parent. And one of your first responses and reactions is to thank Others were trying to help. I, that, that one touched a little bit. That one I felt. Uh, then there was a <laughs> was, uh, was on a, a plane going from East Coast to West Coast of the United States. And the movie that was playing that I was watching uh, was about a high school football player uh, who has a decision to make. He can continue to be the star of the team and play play football or he can give up the season and give one of his kidneys to save his grandmother's life. And so the, you know, the story, the movie is, do I save grandma or win the championship? You know, it wasn't a (laughs) tremendous movie, but, and I quickly forgot about it, except when the credits are rolling at the very end, the very last thing on the screen said, for more information about organ donation, call this number. And I wrote that phone number down in the book that I had been reading and truly forgot about it. It just disappeared. A few months later, I'm cleaning out my briefcase and I see that book and it opens up and I see the phone number. Mm-hmm. And hi, uh, I saw that. Can you send me information? I saw the movies. Can you send me information on organ donation? And boy, uh, so quickly they sent me a big stack of brochures uh, about organ donation. Uh, the vast majority of which was how to donate after you're dead or if you want to give to your wife or your kid or something like that. And so I didn't find anything that was even closely related to giving to whoever needs it. And so I called them and they said, uh, I said, thanks for the information. And they, they asked me who's the kidney for. And I said, well, I'm not sure I want to do this, but I'm just asking questions. Are there people in our area that need kidneys? And they said, yeah, there's, tons of people. And I said, uh, does, will somebody die today because they don't have a kidney? And she said, yeah, 25 people will die in the United States today waiting for an organ that doesn't come. Uh, and I said, well, I'm, I'd like to help. I'd like to see if I can do that. And she said, well, who's it for? I said, no, whoever needs it. Mm -hmm. And she said, you can't do that. So what do you mean? She said, well, 
uh, in the U.S., there's something called a, a waiting list. And the way the federal government maintains that list and the way they keep it uh, structured and ordered, who's on the top of the list, who gets the next kidney, how sick you are, how old you are, how long you've been on the list, what what organ or group of organs do you need? Uh, and so every you know second, basically, that list is constantly being resorted, reprioritized, uh, so that the person who's However, somebody came up with that priorities list, whoever needs it the most gets it. And she said, you're not using that list. You're saying just give it to the person in your neighborhood. In my case, I was in the Washington, D.C. area because I said, give it to whoever needs it the most in Washington. And by doing that, it totally negates the protocol that the government has set up on how you allocate organs when they become available. She said, sorry, you can't do that. But. Is kind of crazy, but she said, give us your name and phone number. And if anything ever gets, you know, traction, if anything starts happening, we'll reach out to you. And I'm in my head, I'm thinking, there's no way in hell anyone's ever going to call me back. Uh, you know, I call a store looking for my size shirt. Yeah, we'll call you back. They never call back. So I didn't expect anything. But seriously, two years later, it's been a full two years and my phone rang. And they said, hey, is this? Is this the Harold Mintz who said he wanted to give his his kidney away? <laughs> and I laughed. I went, I never said I wanted to do it. I said I had questions. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, believe it or not, the very first community-based, neighborhood-based uh, organ donation program that allows somebody to give to somebody who they don't know or they're not related to uh, just got approved. And it happens to be in the Washington, D.C. area. If you want, you express interest before. Please come in and come in with questions. <laughs> cool. So I, I got a sheet of paper and I literally started writing down questions. So let's say you're going to go into the doctor tomorrow. What do you want to know? What's on your list of questions that you're going to ask the doctor? I'm asking you, Rob. Well, gonna, pro- well, they're going to they're going to cut you open tomorrow. What do you want to know? Probably what are the risks? Uh, how will my, my reco- recovery be? Um, may I die on operation table? Um, yeah. Um, All of those are on my yeah, list. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's go to the die question because the doctors don't like that. That's a, what, here's what I said. <laughs> sure. What are the chances I won't wake up from that surgery? Mm-hmm. And they said, well, it's probably the same number of people that won't wake up when uh, you have any kind of surgery, whether it's, uh, you know, gallbladder surgery or whatever. It's not the risk of the surgery. It's the risk of the anesthesia in many cases that mm-hmm. sometimes affects people. So, but she said to answer your question, uh, one out of 3000 people won't wake up from general anesthesia surgery. Okay. And my okay. first reaction was, well, that's cool. You know, on hindsight, What are the chances of winning the lottery? It's one of a bazillion. But one out of 3,000, that's not nothing. <laughs> it's, not, it's, not, it's not that small, actually. So if you think about it, if, you know, it's about your life at the end of the day. Yeah. 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 So, but, so I go in with that, just like the questions you said. What, um, how about, well, there, are there eating or drinking restrictions? If I like fried chicken, can I continue <laughs> to have fried chicken? If I want to have a glass of wine, can I have a glass of wine? And, and the answer was, You can do anything you want, losing, you know, giving a kidney away. Here, make a fist, Rob. Make a fist. Doctors will tell you your kidney is about the size of one of your fists. Mm -hmm. And if you're like most people, you probably have got two of them. And they're located in your lower back. Mm -hmm. And if you take 
if you have two and you take one away, this one gets a little bit bigger, okay. but it absolutely okay. does the work that the two did. It's you don't lose function. You don't, you're not unhealthy. It works perfect. It's almost a backup. It's like a, an extra. Okay. Uh, and you can eat fried food and your heart won't love you. And you can have a bottle of wine every night and your liver won't love you. But if you want to give a kidney away, no problem. It has absolutely no impact on, on that. So, yeah. So I, so I went through all these questions and when I finished, uh, I said to them, nothing you've said to me has freaked me out. Mm -hmm. I understand it. What's next? (laughs) And they said, uh, uh, I thought it would have been, you know, pee in a jar or, you know, give some blood. But the very first medical test they did was they sent me to a psychiatrist. Okay. okay. Because, of course, what kind of knucklehead wakes up in the morning and says, you know, hey, let's find a stranger to give my kidney to. Yeah, that's actually one of the the, the points of the discussion I had with my wife because uh, she said, look – I mean, it's 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 great and it's absolutely honorable what he did and it's fantastic and and uh, but is there something wrong with him? Is there something like from his previous life that he fe- feels bad about that he now has the urge to give away his kidneys? What what is he trying to compensate? Basically, my wife said like you know, he seems like a nice guy, but let's let me ask him. Let me ask him. <laughs> uh, what am I trying to compensate for? Uh, well, look, uh, your wife is right to ask those questions. I told you when we first met, mm-hmm. when I share my story and I hear myself telling the story, who, who does that? It's it's an odd – today, at least, it's an odd thing for somebody to do. It's not, it's not normal. Mm-hmm. But there's more people today that are raising their hand and doing this mm-hmm. than there have ever been before. Mm-hmm. And I think it's partly awareness. One of the reasons I'm happy to chat with you uh, is that – You and I have no idea if there's somebody who will see this and seeing it becomes one of their breadcrumbs on their trail to wherever they're headed. Mm -hmm. It's not where I headed. It's wherever the hell they're headed. But if you ask me about this, I'm tingling as I tell you that. Mm -hmm. I'm happy to share this story with, I wear this. Green, Green is organ donations color. Ah, okay. For one main reason is I hope somebody sits next to me on a plane and goes, Green, what is that? You don't what like cilantro? That? That? No, no, that's, that's actually organ donation. And it invites me to tell them a, an odd story. Do you know how many Uber drivers I've shared my story with? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, sometimes <laughs> let's jump to the end of the story. I know where my kidney is. I didn't lose it. It's on 3,000 miles away in Washington, D.C. I'm in Los Angeles mm-hmm. and my kidney is currently in Washington, D.C. Uh, and uh, that's kind of odd, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> right there. That's kind of odd. But there's uh, a uh, – I forgot what I was going to tell you. Where, where was I in that story? No, it's, it's – it's, it, yeah, you, uh, you, you would jump to the end of the story after you said you um, – if you you, you, can, you, can, you, you can touch other people. You can touch other people, yeah. It's in a tiny little Ethiopian woman. And because of that, uh, my wife and I are now – and my child were – heavily into Ethiopian food. Uh, it's one of the, one of the great benefits of, you know, when you, you give somebody a piece of your body, you think they're going to absorb parts of your personality or, or something. I think we absorb part of hers. 
so so um we we talked about this when we had our first conversation um the the, the person who's taking care of your kidney as you always like to say which is a nice way of putting it um she seems to be a great person i mean she's she's a she's a loving wife a loving mother and and generally nice person one of the things when i was like doing the experiment in my my head was like what if i would give away my kidney and instead of this nice Ethiopian lady who's who's you know suffered for a while with with um, dialysis and stuff, what if I would give my kidney away and then you no, know, it, it ends up in someone who's you no know, beating his wife and and drinking too much and you know doing reckless stuff and just dying two years later. Okay, so let's talk about that. Let's say you did that, and that's the person who got your kidney was exactly like you just described. How would you feel? I would feel pretty bad. I would say, that was my kidney. Why didn't you take care of my kidney? Well, are they not taking care of it or are they just an asshole? <laughs> yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. uh, take care of it. If they don't, I, I let go of that. But I, as far as the them not being the person that I want them to be, mm -hmm. uh, that's a pretty, it's a pretty lofty thing to try to judge. Now, there's probably some obvious people that we could point out to, whether they're, you know, historical figures or current presidents of certain countries mm -hmm. that you don't care for. But uh, as I've said, if if you give your kidney to the asshole, maybe they won't be as much of an asshole the day after you give it to them. It's not my job to try to control what other people do or don't do. I know I have my preferences. Mm -hmm. I'd like them to be nice. Uh but I got control of this, not not them. And so, look, if you had told me beforehand, hey, uh, some asshole is going to get your kidney. Do you want to do it? I might have said no. I might have said no. I'm not that nice of a guy. Uh, but that's not the program. That's not what what the situation is. But uh, did, that, did that thought occur to you before you donated? Not really. And I got to tell you, in the, in the time that I had, it was probably from the time I went into the psychiatrist. Mm. To the day I was on the surgeon's table, it was probably about five or six months. It was, mm. wasn't short. It was, you know, it stretched out even to the point where I was, why is it taking so long? You know, why mm -hmm. what do they, they have all the information? What are we waiting on? And uh, it, it just gave me a lot of time to ask a lot of questions. That's not a question I ever asked. Okay. I never asked, okay. what if they're, that's because there's no right answer. I mean, mm. what if they are? Assume they're going to be. Do you still do this? The psychiatrist poked and prodded me with a lot of questions like that the first time around. I think they're trying to determine why, as your wife asked, why would somebody do this? Why would you wake up and do this? And uh, I, I've always assumed they're looking for uh, answers like there's some people who like having surgery. There's some people who like the attention. There's some people who... You know, whatever that, that list is. Fair so enough. I understand. Let's check. But uh, of all the questions I had, I still say that that's not that's not been one of them. What happens okay. if okay. there's too so, many what ifs so, that I don't have control over. So, so that process, you said it started with the psychiatric uh, examination, basically. Um, what was next? So there were some physical checkups, I assume. Yeah, they... One of the benefits of, of doing this is they won't take it from an unhealthy person. They, they seriously check you out. And if you pass their test, at least at the time that you're giving, you're healthy. You're, you're a good candidate to do this because the Hippocratic Oath, 
doctors take supposedly says, first, do no harm. Mm -hmm. And that's why people couldn't give a kidney to strangers before. Mm -hmm. Because there is a ethical question that doctors say that might be harming a healthy patient for no good reason. Mm -hmm. uh, and it wasn't until they, they tackled that that they said, well, let's do a few experiments. Let's, let's okay. try to see if it works. Okay. So what are the risks that um, the kidney of a healthy person fails? Or both kidneys, let's put it this way. One kidney wouldn't be that much of a problem that both kidneys fa fail or that, or that the kidney of a person who only has one kidney fails. How, how, how big of a chance is there? Well, there's two main reasons. There's probably lots of them, but the two main reason people end up on the waiting list is uh, chronic kidney disease, mm -hmm. something CKD, and uh, diabetes. Mm -hmm. Now, diabetes, uh, here in the United States, it's hard not to uh, find <laughs> any food that doesn't have sugar in it, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a big um, leading cause of Uh, diabetes. And if you have, are low income and you get food from fast food places and, and convenience stores, there's even that much more sugar. And you see people walking out with those huge super sodas. Super yeah. yeah, it's yeah, just, it's, crazy. it's, it's crazy. Uh, but so those two reasons lead to uh, people losing kidneys. Uh, diabetes oftentimes leads to dialysis. Dialysis is only good for a certain amount of time. And then your body says, I need the real thing. Give me the kidney back. Okay. Okay. So, so if you don't have these two preconditions, because that's something that you would probably know, you would be aware of that, then the chances are relatively low. I mean, there probably might be accidents or some, some weird accidents, but other than that, yeah, your, your, your kidney should be fine. Let's put it this way. Okay. okay. Most of us are walking around with two healthy kidneys our whole life. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. Okay. Uh, there's a statistic I, I did a quick check for Switzerland. Yeah, uh, I yep. Right I now, uh, 1,500 people are waiting for an organ uh, mm -hmm. in Switzerland. And about two people die every week mm -hmm. waiting for an organ. Now, two people a week in Switzerland, U.S. is much bigger, 25 a day. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the frustrating things for me uh, is doctors know exactly what to do to fix these people. It's not like there's a cancer that they don't know how to fix yet. They're working on it and they're trying to fix it. The doctors know exactly what to do to fix these people with that need kidneys. They say, okay, Rob, you're an O positive blood type. And they go to the shelf and they look for the O positive matched kidney mm -hmm. and they come back and say, sorry, we're out of those today. Come back tomorrow. And you go, yeah, I don't have tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I need it now. Mm -hmm. 25 times a day, they can fix it, but they're just not enough parts on the shelf. So people are dying from a shortage of parts. And as we know, most people die with two intact kidneys, mm -hmm. uh, at least here in the States. Uh, most people don't donate after they're, they're done, with, done with them. So there's a, there's a gap there. Uh, I think in 15 years from now, that fast, in 15 years from today, mm -hmm. uh, doctors will be growing kidneys in Petri dishes or... 3D printers with biomaterial is going to, you know, here's your kidney. And doing things like I did is, is going to be, you did what? Why don't we just go to 7-Eleven and buy a, a kidney? You know, it's, it's, it's going to change. It's hard not to see the science just catching up. Uh, but today, lots of people are dying in both our countries from something they know exactly what to do to fix.
So um, let's go back to to um, process and um, how you ended up on the operation table. So uh, as the days you know, were counting down, uh, what did you feel? Hmm. Well, when they told me I passed all the tests, mm -hmm. up until that point, I remember I kept telling my wife, uh, there's, there's no way I'm going to pass all these tests because we knew there were people I'm say in line in front of me trying to get through this new program mm -hmm. and uh, 10 people had tried to get through and were kicked out for one reason or another. They found something in the scans. You answered a question wrong, whatever they'd find out, mm -hmm. all 10 were knocked out. I'm looking, <laughs> there's no way I'm getting through. Well, so once they approved us and said, congratulations, you're, you're the first, uh, we sat down and said, okay, what's, Any last questions, any last uh, concerns? And you, they, you can come in and ask, no, we're good. Uh, there was a six-week window between when we said that and when I gave. And so there was a lot of time for me to think about uh, both questioning the decision, mm -hmm. who would get it, do I want to meet them afterwards, will my life change, how, long is it, how bad is it going to hurt? I mean, you go through standard list. Uh, but it was a growing, I'm going to use the word excitement, although that sounds bad. Uh, I was excited about the result of what the results would bring mm -hmm. of the surgery. Uh, and I was hope I was thinking positive. I wasn't thinking assholes going to get my kidney. I was thinking, <laughs> you know, happily ever after stories, which doesn't happen either. But, you know, you're thinking about it. Hey, I hope, uh, you know, a kid gets it or somebody that needs, you know, <laughs> I was thinking positive. It was more questions. And so let's go to day of surgery. Um, my wife and I drive early in the morning to the hospital. Um, it's the first surgery of the day, I guess. So we were there at six o'clock or whatever time they told us. Uh, <clears throat> so my wife and I are, you know, I'm wearing that gown uh, to right before they wheel you in mm -hmm. and, They come and give you a shot in the butt uh, to make you a little bit more relaxed. Mm -hmm. It's not anesthesia. It just makes you happy. And so they give me a shot in the butt and I kiss my wife and she goes back out. They, they, they told her they would keep her, you know, informed. Then the doctor comes over and says, do you have any last questions? And I'm trying to be a jokester. And I say, yeah, how much weight will I lose? You know, by, you know, <laughs> you taking a kidney he goes, sorry, after we squish all the, the juice out of it. it's only like, you know, six ounces or something like that. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, uh, they wheel me into surgery. Uh, have you ever had surgery? Have you had anesthesia where they've knocked you out before? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. That's crazy stuff. You know, I, I share that story. Uh, it's not like sleep, is it? Uh, No, it's like you, you, you basically, you, 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 usually the way you, they do it in Switzerland is you start counting, like, okay, they, they like to say, let's, let's get it going. It's going to feel a little bit cold. Count backwards from 10, and you're 10, 9, and you're out. And then you wake up, and then, oh, what happened? They could tell you to count from three backwards, and you're not going to get to zero, right? Yeah. It kind of comes out <laughs> so here's a question. When it went 10, 9, right before you went out, mm -hmm. did you taste something? Did you have a flavor? A metallic. A metallic. A metallic flavor. A metallic flavor. I've heard people tell me cherry, metallic. Uh -huh. I had garlic. It's kind of weird. It kind okay. of, I'm not sure if okay. that's how that manifests, but okay. So uh, they 
I'm out. Uh, and the next thing you know, it's not like waking up from sleep. For me, mm-hmm. I blinked my eyes. And when I opened my eyes from a blink, mm-hmm. I was already in the recovery room. And I think I woke up in the middle. Of, I was I, th- I think I was talking to my wife when I woke up. Okay. I don't remember waking up, but I remember when I when I started thinking, I was talking. And I was like, what the hell am I saying? I just woke up. But uh, And so... At this point in the story, I wake up from surgery. I'm now in my room that night, have zero pain. Mm-hmm. I've got so much, you know, I guess drugs in me that uh, I'm feeling pretty good, actually. And the phone rings and I pick it up and I say, hello. And it's the lady in charge of the experimental program. Mm-hmm. And she said, look, I'm not supposed to tell you anything about the recipient. You can't know anything. They put us in two separate hospitals so that our families wouldn't accidentally meet. They separate you. Uh-huh. Uh, she said, but I can tell you a little bit if you want to know. Mm-hmm. I went, sure. She said, well, it's a woman. Okay. Uh, okay. She's, uh, she was about my age. Uh, she's an accountant mm-hmm. who lives in Springfield, Virginia, which was five minutes from where I work every day. Okay. Okay. Uh, they said she has a husband and two kids. Mm-hmm. And then they said, and they're telling me this. And I remember I feel zero pain. I'm feeling like, holy shit. That's a good story. That yeah. that's all good. Yeah. Here, here, and here's the best part. They said, when they put your kidney inside of her, it instantly started working. No, she said it started peeing up a storm. And I went, is that good? And she said, yeah, that's exactly what it's supposed to do. It started functioning immediately. It's like, wow, that's great. <laughs> that's really good. So uh, the hospital that the nurses on our wing knew what I was doing. And I think they, they sent me a steak dinner or something like that. But, you know, when you, <laughs> when you have anesthesia, you, you're not eating for a few days. That's just not on your list. It was nice. Uh but I was only in the hospital uh, two days. Okay. Uh, okay. I was walking around the first, you know, the next day. I was walking around. They forced you to walk around. Uh, it was uncomfortable. People say, how much does it hurt? Now, pain for everybody has got a different level of, you know, pain. What you think hurts and what I think hurts, mm-hmm. two different hurts. But for me, I always said, uh, yeah, it was uncomfortable. It was really uncomfortable. But I was never in you know, a stabbing pain that it was like, oh my God, you know, it wasn't that. It hurt. And uh, it lasted, I wasn't back to normal probably for about six weeks, maybe, maybe eight, but Mm -hmm. every day it got better. Every day, the next, you know, the next day was nowhere, wasn't as bad as the day before. And so I keep coming back to how much could it hurt that you wouldn't do this? I mean, how much is it really? So for me, after six or eight weeks, I was better. And then we got the phone call. The phone call is, hey, how are you feeling? It's great. I feel great. She says, you know, if both the donor and the recipient agree to meet, Mm -hmm. uh, you can. Do you want to meet? Because they'd like to meet you and your family. (gasps) So what would you do? Do this with me for a minute. Do you want to meet them? If well, you did this, well, definitely, 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 I would definitely. I would I want to know. Know. Okay, that's a quick answer. That's tell me why. What are you thinking that made you say that? Definitely. 
I guess it's coming back to to the little bit of selfishness and the whole thing is what what happened to my kidney? It's, it might be in someone else, but um, no, I, I gave my kidney. I risked my life for someone. So I would love to know who that is. And and no, as you said, probably I would love to hear a great story and and no, not not meet that asshole, but meet that nice little lady. So that would going through my mind at least. Yeah, uh, it's like reading a book. You want to read the last chapter, right? You, mm -hmm. you've, you take, you made the story this far. Let's let's see where it goes. So, I was thinking that also, but when when the rubber hit the road and they asked me, I responded no. I said I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna take a pass, and they were they were great. Uh, they said we understand your decision and we'll we'll pass it along. Why did you say no? <laughs> Why did you say no? Uh, Okay, so again, we know that we know the end of the story, mm -hmm. but at the time, I didn't know what was going to have happily ever after. At the time, I was thinking, so far, this story is a great story, mm -hmm. with cheerleaders and cupcakes, and all the way through <laughs> movies on planes and donating and peeing up a storm. It's a good, good story. It can't get any better for me. It couldn't get any better, but it could get worse. Uh, If, if we meet, here's my fear. My research had told me that there was a high probability the person who received my kidney uh, was black, African American, or yeah, black. It's a high probability because in the Washington D.C. area, there's a higher propensity for diabetes and other kidney-related diseases. Mm -hmm. So here's my fear: What happens when we finally meet, and this person? looks at me and goes, ooh. Mm -hmm. Now, they probably wouldn't, but oh, wouldn't that screw up the story? Wouldn't that be just a, a pain that I didn't do this for somebody to say thank you? Mm -hmm. That's not it at all. Uh, I wanted the results mm -hmm. of what it could do for that family, that person. And so I said no because I'd rather not know what's behind the curtain than find some something It's not good behind the curtain. But as I said, they respected the decision. And uh, a few days later, uh, they reached back out to me and they said, we just want to pass along a message. We told the recipient uh, what you said. And uh, they have a message for you. They said they don't want anything. Mm -hmm. they, they just want to meet your family and say thank you. Mm -hmm. So uh, I spoke with my wife and we quickly said, yeah, okay, let's do it. So three months exactly to the day after surgery, uh, they held a, I'll call it a press conference. It was in the, uh, the office. Uh, it was in the conference room of the people that put this thing together. Uh, and they told me that, yeah, the press would be in there and she and her family would be in there before us. So here I am. It's, uh, my wife and I, my mom and my son are walking down a hallway, uh, And I know on the other side of that doorway is my kidney. And, and <laughs> before surgery, was I nervous? Yeah, not a bit. We asked so many questions. But walking down that hallway, uh, yeah, I was nervous. I was more than nervous. And the door opens up and, and there's, you know, some flash, you know, flashes. Uh, and everything fuzzed out. I don't see any of those people that are standing there, there's doctors and, but I see this tiny lady standing in the middle of the room, black woman carrying 
uh, a big bouquet of flowers. Mm-hmm. So I know that that's got to be her. The second thing I noticed is I'm 6'5". I'm very tall. Okay. Uh, probably 195 or something, I would say. So, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's tiny. Uh, and it's just how things work, right? Tall, short. She's probably the most serious Christian I've ever met. Mm-hmm. Uh, I question the big G's existence. Mm-hmm. I talk loudly. She kind of whispers. She's, you know, doesn't speak in, unless there's a reason for it. <laughs> I'm happy to talk all the time. No problem. Uh, we're just opposites physically, spiritually, mm-hmm. in every possible way you can measure. And yet that day we first met, uh, we sat down at a table And for about two hours, we shared with each other, how did we intersect? How did our lives put us together here? Mm-hmm. And you know what I told her? I've shared with her what I just shared with you about cupcakes and mm-hmm. the story. And she and her husband uh, shared with us just uh, a hard story, uh, having gotten out of Ethiopia and him being tortured in prison and uh sickness, death approaching out of the blue. We find a kid, you know, it's a, it's, I have nothing but positive perspective on my story. She lives hell for, for 12 years, mm-hmm. 50 surgeries. I mean, oh, bad man. things, bad things. Uh, but as soon as they got the kidney, you know, three months before they said the day she got the kidney, everything changed. Uh, her health rebounded instantly. Uh, and so you look at these two as different as they can possibly be people that our families have been thrown together as we're now family. We're not two different families. We are connected in, in obvious ways. Uh, it's, it's a good, people hear the story and somebody who might hear, watch, you know, our conversation, they're going to have the wrong impression of me. They're going to think, What a nice guy. And yeah, of course, it's I'm, I'm nice and that was a good thing. But people hear the story and it's nobody's that nice. Nobody's, you know, nobody's that person. That's my favorite part of the story I tell people is that I'm normal, just like you. And with we do good things. We do some bad things. It's, it's We're normal people. And it's not some special guy did this. It's a normal person did this. I, I encourage people to ask questions. It's it's dangerous because you're going to get answers that might not freak out. But uh, I've got a folder on my desk of people that I've met who have reached out to me and shared with me that I'm one of the breadcrumbs that led them to donate to someone they know, someone they didn't know, a friend. Uh, it, it come in all shapes, you know. Just and at the time in my life. As those little breadcrumbs are put, picked up and put in my pocket, you don't know it's a big deal. You don't know it's uh, a milestone of some sort. It's these things. It's these tiny things, but enough to tip the to tip the scale. Yeah, yeah. When when you first talked, you mentioned that there were a couple of crazy coincidences between two of you. Two of you. So, first coincidence. When they told me she lived in uh, 
Springfield. Okay. Uh, as I said, I worked in Springfield, so that was 10, you know, could have been there. Uh, then she, I said, where do you work? And she told me where she worked. It's across the highway, directly across the highway from where I am. I can see her building from my building. Now, Washington is not a small place. Now, here's the good one. 17 years before surgery, you know, I don't even know what a kidney does at that point. I'm not thinking kidneys. I'm not thinking donation. 17 years before that, uh, I lived in an apartment building in Alexandria, Virginia, mm-hmm. with a high school friend. It's a 17-story building, actually. And we discovered when I met Gannett, that's the lady's name who has my kidney. When we met, we discovered we didn't live in the same city. We didn't live on the same street. We lived in the same apartment building as each other Crazy. at the Crazy. same time as each other. Crazy. Even now, when I tell you that, I, I tingle going. So you were neighbors. So you were neighbors. <laughs> it's quite possible. I lived there for two years. Mm-hmm. It's quite possible that we were in the elevator together. I mean, it's, how does that happen? That is crazy. And that I, is crazy. It, that is crazy. I, I tell, uh, you know, most of my friends, wow, that's a coincidence. And a lot of my friends look at me and go, that's, that's not a coincidence. That's, you know, a big, bigger hand at play. And I go, yeah, I, I don't think so. But it's a great, <laughs> it's another great little piece to this fun story. Yeah, it's amazing. Crazy. What was your very first thought when you went through that room and, and saw her? What was the first thing that popped up in your head? Uh, she was tiny. Uh, and I was thinking, remember I said, kidneys about the size of your fist. Harold mm-hmm. is sporting... I'm almost a two-fister. Okay. And my okay. first thought was, how did the doctors cram my two-fister inside that tiny lady? Uh-huh. And uh-huh. and this is kind of cool. So <laughs> when you give someone your kidney, I think that gives you the right to ask anything you want. So I said, uh, can I see where, where you're the, you're back, where the kid? And so she turns to the side and here, you know, this is what our back's supposed to, she's got, I, I can see a little bump out <laughs> okay. uh, of, of okay. my kidney in it. That's my kidney right there. I think, I think that's great. <laughs> uh, and I also asked her, uh, I come from a Jewish family and Jewish food is, you know, I grew up with that. And so as a joke, I was just joking. <laughs> I said, so do you like corned beef sandwiches now? And she looked at me like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, I was kind of thinking, Maybe that she has my kidney. She's going to like the same things I like. But I think that, that thudded to the ground. That wasn't very funny. But I, I cracked up at it. So. Okay. Did you feel relieved? Did you feel relieved? When you saw her? When you saw her? Well, I was relieved when I knew she was healthy. Because if you go back to the beginning, the beginning of the story, uh, that was the idea is to help somebody not have to say goodbye to a loved one. You know, that you could, you know, when dad died, there was nothing we could do to fix him. Mm-hmm. but the parts on the shelf issue that we can do something about. And so it just, it seemed liked, seemed appropriate, seemed good. Okay. Hypothetically, if she died on the operation table together with your kidney. Sad. Would you have said, oh, dang, that that's, that's the worst possible outcome of the whole story or? Or, 
or it got wasted, not wasted. It, it didn't give somebody the life it was intended to do. So it would have been a disappointment without question, but that's part of what the day one, that's part of what the psychiatrist goes through. What happens if it doesn't work? What happens if they die? What happens if you never meet them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. These are all things that were tossed at me day one. Uh, and you don't know unless you're in the situation, right? How are you going to react? What are you going to say? What are you going to do? Uh, I had a happily ever after. So I, I didn't have to contend with that, but I'd like to think I'd be disappointed, but okay with it. Mm. Okay. Okay. Um, we, we didn't talk about your wife yet and your wife, Susan, I think is her name is in the room somewhere with you. And, uh, what, 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 what did, what did she say about it? What was her first reaction? Hey, Susan, come over just for a second. <laughs> Because, uh, I'm asked that often uh-huh. and, uh, I give my response, but when I'm asked that question, uh, she's not always in the room, but now she is. Have, have a seat real quick. <laughs> hey, Susan. Hello. Doing great. How are you? Hi. Nice to meet you. So, so what was your first reaction? Well, at first I didn't think that he would be approved. So I said, <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. He'll never make it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> But when uh, it came right down to it, um, that, well, it's um, not my body. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a decision. That's such a, a, a personal decision um, that I couldn't be the one to stand in the way. Okay. 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 D- did you ever think about, you know, w- what if I need that kidney? What if our child uh, needs that kidney? What if, if you know, my brother or sister or whatever needs that kidney? Uh, it, you know, it goes through your mind, but it, you know, a lot of things can happen between, uh, now and maybe, mm-hmm. you know, so you, you have to kind of, uh, live with the decisions that you want to make every day to, um, improve someone else's life, your life. That's going to be the general. name of my book, by the, by the way, between now and maybe. <laughs> I like that. That's mine. That's ours. We got that. So, um, would you have allowed her to give her kidney? Absolutely oh. not. Now, seriously, I don't control seriously, her. Seriously, seriously, seriously. I'm seriously. not laughing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I, you know, she can do what she wants. I'm not her, but it wouldn't have had my blessing. No way. No way. Ask me why. Why not? You know why. Why not? There's an op. One in 3,000 chance she's not going to wake up from that surgeon's table. No, mm-hmm. that's not worth, it's not worth the risk. Yeah, but somebody needs it. Yeah, let somebody else help. Uh, so why do I have, why do I have, because I can. I can't explain it, <laughs> okay. but okay. easy for me, not easy for her. Well, not easy for me, but it would be not easy for you. <laughs> okay. 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 Here to maybe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you just don't know. What did you feel, Susan, when he was you know, wheeled away and and you know, on the operation table? Oof. Um, nervous. Mm-hmm. Nervous. Um, but we'd spoken to the doctors and gotten all the information, and the doctor had done that particular operation, you know, many, many times. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just kind of have to, you know, We were in the best hospital in the city in Georgetown University Hospital. So you got to have to, you know, hope and pray for the best um, and hope that they, are, they know what they're doing. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but going, but going with with statistics also. Yeah, yeah. Well, but not so much that one in three thousand, but the you know with the doctors' statistics. Yeah, I mean that that that's that's uh, would have been a massive concern for myself. I mean, one three thousand is is yes, it's way more likely that everything goes uh, well and not not wrong but but still there's no not i kind of question that statistic i'd have to see i'd want to see what all the parameters uh, you know and who was included in that um why were they going into surgery uh if you're going into surgery generally speaking uh it's for a reason other than that you're healthy and giving as opposed i'd have to see see that statistic on healthy people going to give a you know, a kidney or bone marrow or part of their liver or something like that to see a little closer. And um, they didn't have a whole lot of those statistics at the time. True. Okay. Okay. Wow. And so, so what, what do you think now about your husband? Do you feel he's a hero? Because I know that he, he, I I know. Yes. (laughs) But it's interesting that, that, uh, so many other people have donated because of the story that mm-hmm. they've heard or seen or read about. Um, and there's just how many, 10, yep. 20 people that he knows of that have given directly because of the story. So mm-hmm. it, it is the, the domino and it is um, a good thing when, when you know that it's having that impact on people mm-hmm. that maybe if they can't give themselves um to someone else it makes it normal it makes it not outside of a you know of a that makes it not crazy no no (laughs) and um you had well you still have a kid but that um your child was 10 years old at the time um yeah nine ten yeah yeah yeah. did you ever think ah and it's it's now what if something happens? Would would we ever be able to to cope with that because of another person? Isn't I have a letter? I have a letter that I wrote uh, a couple of days before surgery that I put in my sock drawer uh, before surgery. That starts out. If you're reading this, I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> okay. Luckily, that I didn't have to read that letter. Um, yeah. But I think. Uh, at, at this point, if something happened and, and we had to look, you know, back and say, oh, we should have, or oh, mm-hmm. you know, um, I don't even know if we checked blood types anyway at that at that particular uh, point in time to see if there. We had to because we had had a child together. They check, make sure our blood plays nicely, mm-hmm. don't they? No, we have, yeah, but we have different blood types, you and mm-hmm. I, so I'm not even sure yeah. what Shai's blood type is. I, I know Shai's is O positive, oh. same as mine. Okay. So. Yeah. Okay. The question is, yeah. could I have given one to my child if he needed one? And the answer is, uh, I would have. But the same thing I told my younger brother, who's a diabetic. Hey, what are you giving your kidney away for? I may need it tomorrow. And I always say the same. If you need one tomorrow, I'll get you one tomorrow. But somebody needs it today <laughs> and yeah. we'll cross that bridge if we ever see it. Yeah. Okay. okay. Plus, he has two sons. He can. <laughs> so more, more backup than you. Okay. Uh, okay. Okay. Uh, uh, what, what do what do people tell you? I mean, you've I'm sure you've received a lot of letters. You've received a lot of people approaching and reaching out to you. What, what, what do people tell you? You know, what's what, interesting. What uh, just a snapshot. Uh, most people are most people I know. Mm-hmm. You know, were wonderful. 
supportive and uh, asking lots of questions as as they probably should. But we also, uh, I received some some hate mail uh, okay. after okay. there was a picture of us. Uh, Gannett being an Ethiopian woman is, is black skinned. I'm lighter not. color. Yeah, <laughs> not. Uh, and it was on the cover of a local magazine. Well, National Magazine. National Magazine. And it was. Yeah. And so they wrote to our home address a, a letter that basically said, you know, bad things. You know, how how could you? And I laughed at it. And then Susan goes, what are you laughing at? They know our address. And I was like, okay. yeah. Okay. So most people, wonderful. But there yeah. was a couple aberrations that kind well, of shocked us. There always will be. There's always someone who doesn't, he isn't happy. I mean, you, you could give away free money and, and cash and they would say, oh, I want to wire, I want to wire. Something. wire and, this wire was, something. and this was before uh, the advent and explosion of social media. Can you imagine now? Mm. Boy, yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah, been, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Even worse. Okay. So, um, so um, we, we talked about the issue of um, assumed consents and um, how it differs in different countries. So also in Switzerland, it's the same. You have, it's, it's assumed that you do not give consent unless you explicitly do. Um, so what you need to do here is you need to uh, register um, ahead of time. Otherwise, your, your relatives might decide for you. But usually if you wanted to donate yourself, then you have to register. Um, they're going to ask you a couple of questions. Um, so they, you know. Do you know what that website is? Can you say it? Do you, did you know what in Switzerland, what the... Uh, um, I, do I, if you don't have I, it now... I, uh, I, I, I can give it to you. I have my... Let me see. I have my little... My little... Yeah, cheat sheet. No, not usually. Actually, I, I I went to donate blood yesterday, so um, I have everything in here. Um, Is that a coincidence, or did you do that on purpose because of this conversation? Um, well, actually, I, I it's it was the first time in a year that I went. I didn't go for a year, and um, um, I after we talked, I checked and I said, okay, when's the next time I can donate again? And it was like yesterday. So I said, hey. That, that's a, that's a, that's a good reason to go again. I mean, I I I I, I donated many times in the past, but sometimes life happens and then you don't go. And then I said, ah, uh, at least my little part that I can do in this whole <laughs> equation. Since we know each other and we're now personal with each other, how old are you? I'm at thirty six. I'm at thirty six. Okay, you're a thirty six year old guy from Switzerland. How many times in your life do you think you've donated blood? Not too many. Probably Not too many. Probably fifteen times. I would say. Okay, that seems like an awful lot to me compared to the normal American. Is it common in Switzerland for people to do that? Is it normal? Um, I'm I'm always surprised. You know, like and, and I, I yesterday when I went again after um, a year or so, um, or even a bit more. Um, I, I every time I go, the same thing goes through my mind. It's so amazing if you um, you think who else is gonna give blood with me? Who else is gonna take the time? In Switzerland, you don't receive anything, so it's it's oh okay, you get you get free cake and coffee. That's that's it. But you don't don't get any any. And in some countries, I think in Germany, you get um, a financial reimbursement, but in Switzerland, you don't get anything. So and, and every time I enter those, it's usually in like a, like a big gymnasium where they just set up everything, and then you go through all the checks and then all the, the, the whole process. And I always think it's amazing. You have this 
amazing mix of people. You have you have farmers because I live in a rural area. You have lots of farmers like with dirty hands and everything, and they they come in there like working clothes, and they like you have bankers lying there. You have women. You have you have you know men. You have big guys, small guys. It's it's also amazes me that that's um, for a brief moment in time, like all these people come together to to give something. Just because they can, and it's always like gives me a shiver if if I if I'm if I'm lying there for, for a bit that's of time. Perfect. A bit of time. That's perfect, Rob. But I got to tell you, mm-hmm. you giving blood yesterday to someone you don't know, mm-hmm. and me doing what I did, you know, that's on the same string, right? Mm-hmm. That's not a different string. Uh, it's a couple inches further down the string. Mm-hmm. That's the same thing, dude. <laughs> but to, to answer your question, um, I don't think it's that common. So um, the, the, the figures um, on the website of the Swiss, um, Swiss what's the name, Swiss, um, it's actually the, the Swiss Red Cross who coordinates everything. Um, and there's a, yeah, um, blood donation organization in Switzerland. It does it as well. And the thing is, it's, it's not even in Switzerland, like you have to have different, different, um, you have to register for every different place that you go to, for every state that you go to, you have different, it's, it's not, it's not, um, there's no central organization. So you have to have a few of them actually, if you go, which is a bit of a pain, um, because you have to sign up every time and then you're a new donor every time. So that's no, and I travel a lot. So that's, I have a bunch of these, but, um, it's, 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 it's around 5%, um, of the population apparently that's, um, no, gives to the 95% to our really, no, receiving ends. Well, uh, I think it's great. Uh, I, I give blood regularly. It's, it gives me the same, someone needs it. I mm-hmm. won't know them, but I know someone's using it. They don't go to waste. Uh, and it puts things in perspective. If somebody needs the blood or a kidney, uh, yeah, uh, I stubbed my toe today or a bad thing happened at work today. Yeah, it's bad, but I'm healthy. My wife's healthy. My son's healthy. I don't have those issues. So it kind of yeah. puts things in perspective pretty quickly as priorities, you know, what's important. And what how, many kid, how many kidney donations um, are there in Switzerland per year? 1,500. 1,500. <laughs> no, I think 1,500 I think, I think um, donors are waiting for someone at any point. I think that's, that's what I, recipients, recipients. Um, and I think there, I think there are 500 donors because there, I, what I read is that 1000 people are waiting without having any donor at any time. So, any so, time. so, so and they, and you don't, do you have matching, um, or if I give to you and you give to her and he gives, and you have those kinds of chains there as well for people that. Not, 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 not that I'm aware of, not that I'm aware of, to be honest, I, I would need to look into that. Uh, That's the way that mm-hmm. it has gone uh, in the United States now. Um, more people are raising their hands mm-hmm. to give, maybe not to someone that they don't know, but to someone that they do know and they're not a match. And so either hospitals or other organizations will do the, that matching and those chains of giving. Okay. But so, so Ah, okay, okay, okay. But how does it work? Because you said there's this waiting list, basically, that, that has some criteria and get shuffled around. So um, if there's this waiting list, which is like the, the ultimate authority, and um, let's say we are friends or we are family, and I know you need a kidney, um, then me giving you that kidney would basically make us jump the waiting list. Is that, is that allowed? Or, or, the, or you getting, since we know each other, mm-hmm. 
uh, that's called a direct donation. Okay. That's not okay. in the same category as uh, usually they that's come from deceased uh, you know, people who sign their driver's license. Uh, those are allocated to the who needs it first. But if you work with somebody, you want to give to your wife, you want to give to your next door neighbor, direct donations. That's fine. Okay. 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 Yeah. Um, yeah I would need to look into that, how, how it works here. Um, but um, we don't have enough. And it's, it's, it's same with blood donations. We don't in, in uh, the summertime, not right now. No, it's the winter season, uh, you know, skiing season. There are a lot of accidents as well. So they, they actually just, just uh, had a news, um, newspaper, uh, sorry, newspaper article published saying that they need more blood donation at the moment because they're running out of it's, it's holiday season. People are going away. Um, so the regular donors are not, not covering enough. So, um, and in the summer, it's the same. They have a lack, lack of blood basically. And it's, it's, um, what I found, it's, surprisingly difficult to get people to donate. So, um, at the places that I worked with, they, no, I worked with some larger corporations at some point in time, and, um, they sometimes do these blood runs, um, you know, in the office. And even if you go, Hey, guys, it's, it's like half an hour and it's nothing bad. It's just a little, you know, you get pricked and that's it. it. It's hard to get people to do it because you now people would come up with all kinds of excuses like, no, I've never did it before. And then I don't feel like it. And oh, I have it. Go to the reason for all those excuses. <laughs> yeah. What's the reason for those excuses? Yeah. It's because there's a fear. Yeah. Fear. Whether it's a fear of the needle or it's blood makes a lot of people feel, you know, queasy. I understand why they say no. You know, if you got your ear pierced, and you've never tried to give blood, give, try it once. If you don't like it, don't do it again. But I always encourage people to try it at least once because, yeah, it, it's not like it feels great, but, I mean, it doesn't really hurt that much. It's a tiny thing. But try once. Do it great. Don't want to do it again. Don't do it again. That's yep. a good place. Yeah. Yeah. The connection was interrupted for a second there. Yeah. Um, thank you, Susan. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. Um, yeah, and it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. Now I can, I can understand people. I kind of see why people don't go. And, um, I myself, um, even though I try to go, like I said, now I didn't go for quite a while now and I could have gone and, and you no, know, sometimes you cannot go for, for reasons that are valid. Like you have a, a cold or something, which, which excludes you or you're on medicine or have whatever, no, there's some, some in Switzerland, they're quite strict in terms of what, what makes you not, uh, yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. If you went to Africa in the past six months, if you, you know, lived in the UK for uh, more than half a year in the past, like before 86 or something like that, if you're, um, in Switzerland, is, um, if you are gay, for example, um, it's one reason that you're not allowed to, uh, which there, there was a big, there was a big discussion about this and there was a big pushback, rightfully so, because people are saying, Hey, just because I'm gay, I live in a, I live in a stable relationship and I haven't changed my sexual partner in, in 20 years. Why should I not be able to make blood? So there was a bit of discussion here. Um, but yeah, and, and yeah, sometimes just things happen, but, but it's, um, it's not as easy. So I can, I can only imagine that you know, being a life donor is, is so much more. It's not so much more. It's kind of the same thing. It's, it's a, you know, a little bit more of a risk numbers wise. Uh, but the rationale behind it is same thing. Uh, 
uh, here's a medical thing I can do to help somebody else and I'll never see the result. I love that. Mm-hmm. It's in the same club. Uh, kidneys are, I've, you know, I've always said, you don't have to do what being a living donor. Mm-hmm. That's great if you know somebody, but the group of people that have donated to people that they don't know, that's still odd. It's still different. But if everybody like a lot of places in Europe, you know, did that, uh, presumed consent mm-hmm. where, <clears throat> Uh, if everybody signed their driver's license here in the United States, there wouldn't anybody be waiting on the list. There'd be plenty of deceased donor, you know, organs. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah. and I, th- I think they should change it. But it's, then again, it's not easy to change the law for that. And and uh, people tried here in Switzerland as well. They failed doing it, unfortunately, as far as I know. So they tried collecting um, signatures for it and did not reach enough. Um, I think in Switzerland, you need 100,000 signatures and... Um, um, last time I checked, they didn't have enough. So, um, it's a shame. It's a shame. It's, it's, it wouldn't take much and, um, it would change a lot for a lot of people. That's, that's the point. point. Well, uh, you know, if somebody needs a kidney here, mm-hmm. there's, there's, there's a limited number of ways. If you or I or our loved ones needed one, what do you do? What do you do that works? So social media helps a little bit, uh, And then there's old school ways. Actually, people write, it happens a lot here. They'll write on the windows of their car, wife needs kidney, Mm -hmm. O positive and a phone number. And those kinds of things, if you see it, you you might call. If you don't share your story, if the people don't know it, how can they call? How can they help? So it's interesting the way people are reaching out now. Uh, I've always said if somebody that I know needed one, I make the assumption that I know enough people that would probably raise their hand. Mm-hmm. I hope that's true. I, I don't know it to be true, but it feels like it is. But c- coming back to statistics, statistically, it still doesn't add up. That's the point. It, 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 you probably feel you feel that way, but whether... So whether- it took me a few years, but eventually uh, Gannett's husband, uh, my recipient's husband's name Sagai. Okay. And I... Okay. For years, I didn't ask, but I was thinking, how is it that he or somebody in their family or somebody in their large church mm-hmm. hadn't raised their hand? Mm-hmm. Or if they had, how come they hadn't found a kidney for her yet? If I'm O positive and I'm not special, there's a lot of O positive blood types out there. Mm-hmm. Why had she was on death's doorstep? How is it possible that nobody raised their hand? And so eventually a few years after we you know, had met and our families had spent time becoming family, I asked. Mm-hmm. I asked him, I said, did anybody in your church ever, I didn't want to point my finger at him, but I said, did anybody in your church ever try? He said, no. I said, how, how is that? Why, why is that? You know, I don't want to be accusatory. It's not me. Uh, and he said, uh, fear uh, people were scared or, uh, it's, it's not as common in the Ethiopian community. And so I, I, I heard, but I still have a hard time coming to, uh, an understanding with that. Uh, what wouldn't you do for your, for your loved one? Could, could he have donated? No, okay. different blood type. Different blood type. <laughs> is it the, the match um, between organs? Is it just the blood type that's, or is there something else? Or something else. I've got something to say about that. I have something to say about that. 
<laughs> not necessarily about this specific case, um, but I, I have done, done, done some reading about some of the, um, uh, especially in California, there was a, a, a law that was up for vote about, you know, it was, it was very confusing, but it had to do with kidney dialysis, dialysis centers. And there are, I think, maybe two major companies that own all the dialysis centers mm-hmm. in the United States. Um, and for some reason, I started talking to people within those centers. And they, people that are on dialysis, are not approached that often within those centers about transplant. So they don't have that much information about transplantation for them to be able to then share with family members. We're making assumptions that it's something that is common and well-known and that there's a process and this is how you get on the list and this is, and it's good to have a, a, um, a kidney as opposed to going through dialysis two or three days a week. Um, but that's not, from my understanding, is not the approach that is taken by many of the dialysis centers. That's money in their pocket. And that money is also subsidized by the American government. I mean, it's this, this whole thing, dialysis centers, um, and, and how they're paid for um, by the government started back in the 70s under Nixon or whatever. So there's a whole political and lack of education purposefully. Yeah, and it's, and, and, and it's sad, but it's true. I mean, uh, the patient that you healed is no longer a patient. Exactly. exactly. That's, that's a big, big, big But that's a, that's a whole other discussion. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> uh, your blood type mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. is one. Uh, there's something, and I'm not a doctor, but there's something called antigens. We all have six of them. They're markers mm-hmm. in our blood. <laughs> and it used to be you needed uh, five out of six to do a transplant. Six out of six, you're a twin. Five out of six, you're a good match. Then they got four out of six needed to match and they fill in the rest with pharmaceuticals. I've heard you can now even do it when the blood types aren't the same, as long as the recipient eats a certain anti-rejection pill the rest of his or her life. But uh, the more technology and medicine moves forward, it's easier and it's easier to put people that aren't exact matches together. Together, yeah. Uh, just coming back to, to what your wife said, um, It's also something that my my wife mentioned uh, yesterday when we talked about the, um, our, our conversation um, was just with blood donation. She said, look, I know that you're donating blood, but you're pretty much the only one that I know personally. Like from our from our family, no one donates on a regular basis. And why, if you go to the doctors, why don't you get like a little flyer in your hand and say, look, hey, um, how about donating blood? So no one is actively reaching out. I mean, and, and, and that could be the same with at least in the places where you go to, where there is medical staff around that is informed about this, why are they not reaching out to people and encouraging people to, to donate blood to become older? Well, they are. They just don't have a big enough budget to do it so that it hits us often enough or as frequently as enough as it's needed. When you gave blood yesterday, had you signed up or did you see the gymnasium with a sign that said, give blood today? Um, I'm on a mailing list, so I'm receiving I'm receiving emails um, if I see them or if I'm not just no if they just don't end up in my yeah I'll, I'll read that later folder. <laughs> That's the point, and and they do sometimes have signs up out there, but um, you know I'm 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 a marketer, so I know how much we are bombarded with marketing messages all day. So that that little tiny blood donation ad is gonna win against the 
18,000 contacts we have every day, no chance. No well, chance. If for me, I give blood regularly as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, once you're on the mailing list here, the Red Cross, once you're on their mailing list, they email you. They know that you can give blood every seven weeks and they reach out to me electronically every seven weeks. And the problem is where my wife and I live, it's not very often that there is a blood drive close. I've got to drive 20, 30 minutes to find the blood drive. Uh, but so I sign up and sometimes I do that. But more often than not, I'm driving by a place and I see the sign and I'll pull in. And I'll, I'll just donate that way. Yeah, yeah. So if it's yeah, convenient. Yeah. Ah, that's true. Okay. Ah, that's true. Okay. Yeah. In, in Switzerland, you can only donate every three, three months as a male and every four months as a female. That's the recommendations. Yeah. Uh, yeah that's a bit shorter. Well, that's the one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> coming back to your, to your story and um, how... Did the family of, uh, what's her name? I, I can, I can never remember that name. Gannett. Um, how did Gannett's family react to, to you? I mean, did they carry you around for years and wave, wave, wave your face with, you know, uh, palm leaves and, 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 and you know, it's and, funny. That's a great question. Uh, like all ethnicities, mm-hmm. uh, family is important and, uh, we truly, felt like we became part of their uh, family, not extended family, but family. Uh, early on, we went uh, to an Ethiopian, we were invited to an Ethiopian wedding. I think it was a cousin, mm-hmm. a cousin's kids or something like that in DC. And uh, we discovered a number of things that weekend. Number one, uh, the wedding invitation says two o'clock. Uh-huh. So my wife and I, uh-huh. what would you do? We show up at 1.30, 1.45 yeah. and we get there and the, the, the church is empty. Okay. And we go, okay. it's empty. And we look at the invitation to make sure the date and the time is correct. And uh, yeah, it's today. We're in the right place. And at, you know, two o'clock, a couple people walked in. We went, I mean, uh, it's an Ethiopian church. So first of all, we're, we were the only Caucasians within, a, you know, around. and we said, is there a wedding today? And they went, yes. Okay. Uh, where is everybody? Well, they're not here yet. Oh, and so we sat down. And of course, over the course of the next hour, hour and a half, the place started filling up. And afterwards, you know, at, at the reception, we went up to Gannett and Sagai and said, uh, was, was there a time change that we didn't know about? And he goes, no, it's just Ethiopian time. Everything starts a couple hours later than, you know, <laughs> yeah, but the invitations had said two o'clock. So, so. Uh, but we, but we're family. You ask what their family was was like. Uh, we're treated uh, so close as family that uh, those weddings that we were invited to, it was a, uh, you know, everything was meal centered. Mm-hmm. Uh, early on, they were giving us gifts, mm-hmm. and we had to say, "You're, you're making us uncomfortable. This is don't give me a watch. You, let, let's 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 find food." as a common ground where we can appreciate each other's cultures and celebrate as a family around a table, as opposed to buying things or, mm-hmm. so it's been wonderful. And as I said, that's what introduced us to Ethiopian food, which my son and I love. We can't get enough of that. <laughs> and, and did her taste change? Did, did, did she? <laughs> so no craving. 
No cravings for Jewish no cravings specialties. No cravings for Jewish and specialties. And <laughs> Boy, do I wish that was the case, but no. <laughs> uh, okay, okay, I see. Uh, you, you mentioned you are, you are not religious or not, not really religious. No, I was so. raised uh, uh, by two Jewish parents who raised mm. my brothers and I. Uh, we went to temple every you know Sunday morning. I was even bar mitzvahed when I was 13 years old. But religion doesn't play a part in my life. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's not a significant part. It's more of Jewish food than it is Jewish prayer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, so it's it's. I still I still can't get over the fact um, how someone can can do that and it's i think it's absolutely amazing and, and i know that you don't feel like like you're someone special but um th- what i noticed uh, having these conversations with uh, quite a few people now is that people who do outstanding things who do exceptional and extraordinary things often don't think they're extraordinary that's that's part of what makes them extraordinary i think and, and it's funny um a few weeks back i had a um conversation with a guy named uh James Harrison. I don't know if you've heard of him. So um, he's an Australian guy and he's called the man with the golden arm. And he's the world record holder in, in um, blood donations. So he donated 1,800 times, every, basically every two weeks since he was, I know, in this, since the 60s. And um, what's, what's, what the crazy thing about the whole thing is um, he has a very um, specific marker in his blood. And um, when Two, two uh, people um, mate and, and have a child and their blood types don't add up. And then there's, there is a, um, um, a big chance that usually that kid will have either, will either die in the womb or will have um, massive birth defects. And up until the 60s, there was nothing to do about it. And then they discovered there is this one, um, this one um, I don't know, technical term for it, um, the fact that you can give a little bit um, of that uh, antibody, basically, and then the kid will uh, develop, basically, uh, the immune system will adapt to it, and then it's fine. And they, he has a very specific um, um, kind of factor in his blood, and um, it's estimated that he saved 2.4 million babies because for the past 60 years he's been donating and... Um, He uh, got into an accident when he was young. He had uh, one lung removed and he uh, received blood when he was 16. I think 13 liters of blood blood, uh, transfusions. And he said, look, um, I've been given a second chance and as soon as I'm old enough, I'm going to donate. And he has been donating ever since. He had to stop uh, a couple of years back uh, because in Australia, when you uh, get to, I think, 81, it was, um, you have to stop for health reasons. So he cannot do it. But um, he would have, you know, done it forever and it's amazing that that someone and, and I, I also ask him look did you ever think you know I, I have enough of that or did you ever think of stopping or did you ever do you consider yourself to be extraordinary because you saved like literally in every Australian child with that um, that didn't have that that's uh, antibody since the 60s in every Australian child is a little bit of of James Harrison <laughs> And he has been, his blood has been in every single uh, 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 dose of, of medicine they've, they've given to, to hundreds of thousands of, of mothers. And um, he said, no, it's just, it's, 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 of course I have to do it. Why, why would I not do it? I mean, it's, it's, it's the same like you. You, 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 you saved life and you could have just said, nah, I'd rather you know, go to 
to a football game tonight. Football game. But, um, tonight, but, yeah. Um, uh, I think that's that's a, that's almost full circle in the conversation. One of the first things we spoke about was why would somebody mm-hmm. do this? Mm-hmm. Why would somebody? Mm-hmm. Are they compensating for something? Is it you know? And uh, just the quick recap is. Uh, those things that happened in my life that brought me, that I say led me to that table uh, uh, were insignificant that ended up being extremely significant. The big one uh, was my father passing at an early age. Uh, but uh, every single one of those little stories, I always say, uh, we all see them every day. You just got to notice them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the story, uh, our particular story is great because she's healthy today. As of now, it's been about 19 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, we celebrated 19 years last month on the anniversary. Uh, and she's healthy and she's good and I'm healthy and I'm good. Uh, that's great. <laughs> it's a really good story. Uh, so I figured uh, I share it and I more than appreciate you asking, uh, reaching out and asking me to share it with you because somebody who's listening they're picking up a breadcrumb. That's good. That's then you never know. And and someone else I've been talking to a few uh, weeks back, um, put it in a very nice way. Like that, you're, you're, at every point in your life, basically, you 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 can make two decisions, and often these decisions are just a tiny little bit. Like they are very close to each other, but along the way, they no, they they the, the change gets bigger, and you never know that that little decision that you make today will, at some point in the far 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 away future have drastic impact. And then I think that's what it's all about. And I think that's also what this is all about. And and hopefully someone who's watching this will say, hey, let's donate some blood. Let's you know, put myself on the organ donors list and um, save somebody in the future. And, and then I think that's definitely worthwhile. Definitely hey, listen, worthwhile. If, if any of the people that are watching are, are curious to meet Gannett, uh, there's a 15 minute documentary that we could send people to uh, that they can watch for free. It's called uh, or go to www.heraldskidney.com and you can just click on watch the film. Uh, and when it says, if you want to be a donor, they're not asking for your money. They're asking if you want information <laughs> about organ donation. So feel free to click. Yeah, definitely. And it's very interesting. It's very fascinating. It's, it's uh, summarizes the whole thing in a very short amount of time, but it's really, it's really nice. And you get to see all the pictures you know, that you talked about when you first met and, and, you younger with a little bit of a uh, little bit less of a mustache, but <laughs> I, I have to ask about the mustache. Is that something you you're getting a lot of questions about? Uh, your mustache about? is older than you. Uh, my mustache <laughs> celebrated its forty uh, second birthday uh, last summer, so uh, it's been there a long time. I'll show you something that I don't show a lot of people. Look, I believe. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, I think I think I've asked all the questions uh, that that's. Um, I'm sure there are many more questions I could ask, but um, I think it's you're an amazing person, and I know you don't uh, think the same way, but but um, you saved a life, and and um, you've influenced a lot of people. So um, I want to leave it with that. And there's just two questions that I'm always asking anyone at the end of any conversation. And um, the first question is, this is a series of interviews with extraordinary people who make a change in this world and to inspire others and to motivate others to, to do great things. Who do you consider to be someone extraordinary? 
Uh, that's a long list. Uh, okay. Shoot. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> uh, Sha, are you out there? Huh? Are you out there? You just want to make sure. Uh, my son, mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, easy to be in, impressed. I, I see him every day. Uh, uh, my my son started out this life as my daughter mm-hmm. and has uh, transitioned into my son. And it's hard not to uh, watch uh, the 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 ability at which he walks through life with that, uh, with the passion that he carries around every day. That's tremendous. So uh, that's one that's in front of me every day that I don't take for granted. But it's a long list. There's a lot of people that influence me all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wonderful. And um, my last question is, um, and I want to close this conversation with, with um, your answer. What's your message to everyone who's, to anyone who's watching or who's listening to this? Pay attention. Uh, everybody's got those breadcrumbs in front of them all the time. Uh, but you don't see them if you don't notice them. So just pay attention. Uh, go through life looking for it. Look for the fun breadcrumbs, pick them up and put them in your pocket. It's about as much as I can give you. I thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And I hope, um, again, anyone who's watching this, go ahead, go donate blood, go sign up for the organ, organ donors list and make sure to visit haroldskidney.com. And tell your wife I said, hey. I will do. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you for watching. And in a few seconds, you'll hear about the extraordinary person that I'm going to talk to in my next conversation. But before that, I need to ask you for your help. See, finding people who inspire and motivate you to make a change, that's what's most important to me. But to connect you with these amazing people and to bring you conversations that you will not find anywhere else, I need you to become a part of our journey. So please get involved and leave a comment below with your own questions and maybe even tell me who I should talk to next. And if you know anyone who might like this conversation, then please share it because I'm sure that they will like it too and it will help to grow this channel and to make an impact together. And by the way, on my website, you will find all current and upcoming episodes, including show notes and transcripts, background info, books and websites of my guests, podcast links, and much more. And once you become an email subscriber, there is always some exclusive content, so don't forget to sign up and I'll see you in the next conversation. In the next episode, Rob talks to Christian Picciolini. As a former right-wing neo-Nazi leader, he committed countless acts of violence and radicalized hundreds of people on behalf of his white power organization. But unexpected encounters with some of the people he hated so much led him to a change of heart. He revoked his right-wing beliefs and now helps others to disengage from radical organizations. Rob and Christian talk about living with death threats, how people get radicalized and why everyone is at risk, the shocking ways in which radical groups recruit people, and much more. Join the conversation now.